right, guys, we're back. We just got done test driving a Ford Transit Explorer van. My thesis, guys, when it comes to the sales process is that it has to be seamless, meaning from one step to the other, boom, 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 boom. Okay, we got back from our test drive, all right? Then I asked for payments. I'm like, hey, can you work out a payment for me real quick? Sure, he disappeared into a sales manager's office for seven minutes. Now, you know, guys, I've talked about this a lot. I can't stand that process. It is the stupidest process out there ever, right? So you're leaving your customer in a room, by the way, it was like an eight by eight closet, not even a room, right? Um, you know, and, and, and you're leaving them just sitting there just so they can do whatever they want on them, their own. And, and why wasn't those payments already prepped and ready by the time I got back? Right? It was just like, here's a couple options. You know, you know, the other thing too is they only showed me one option. That was another thing that I was a little surprised by. And they didn't accept my original offer. They gave me a window to say, oh, you know what? Maybe this doesn't fit in this particular time. And it gave me that opportunity to kind of walk, to walk out the door. Um, and I'm not saying that necessarily what was, what, what they offered me was the wrong thing to do by any means. What I'm saying is that that 45 minutes left a stupid amount of opportunity for me to really question if I should be taking action right now at this moment. And because they took 45 minutes to really kind of figure out what the hell they could actually do here, that's when it, it gave me that, it, it gave me too much time, right? I, I'm always kind of a, I go 50-50 on this sometimes of letting the customer go out by themselves for a test drive versus, you know, you know, the customer, the salesperson goes out on the test drive. Here's what I believe is that the first time the customer goes on the test drive, a salesperson goes with them every single time. Now, if they happen to be a be back and it's just kind of a, it's a reconfirmation of that test drive in those cases, sometimes, and maybe only 50% of the time, am I like, yeah, go ahead. Hey, take the keys, let your wife check it out. Let your kids check it out. You know, and it's already in there. So, I mean, I, I got left with the keys, you know, for this big ass van. I mean, I didn't roll in in a big car. So, I mean, you just assumed, I guess I knew how to drive a 27 foot long van, uh, which I do, but I mean, I could, I could have left anybody else intimidated. Right. But I had no idea how to set my seat. I had no idea how to set my mirrors. I had no idea how to adjust the steering wheel. Right, I was I was set there left asking myself all these questions of like, where's the, oh, oh okay, the, the switch is under here. Well, how do I move this? And, and so I guys, I don't think that, I think that was a con, you know, it definitely, I mean, at least during that drive, if he wasn't building the perceived value in that purchase, he could have been building the perceived value in doing business with the dealership through telling the story of the dealership and really kind of getting you to embrace the story of this dealership. Now, the one thing I was surprised by that the owner was there in the showroom and it bothered come over to say hi. Oh, I we were the only person, we were the only people in there looking for a car. The owner was in there, walked by us a couple times and never stopped to say hi, introduce himself. That I was a little surprised by, you know, I find it. I mean, that's just, I found my responsibility when I had my dealership as being the owner is that I would work the floor whenever I was on the floor and it wasn't a lot because I, you know, you got a lot of paperwork, a lot of work to do, but when I'm on the floor, it's like, I'm going to work the shit out of that floor and I'm kissing babies and shaking hands and, 
you know, and just, you know, because I think that it's important that the consumer sees that, you know, you know, when when I when I'm there and I'm on the floor, like I'm acknowledging everybody. Yeah. And that's also kind of goes back to what I'm talking about when dealerships work in a silo in silos. Do you know what I mean? Like because it happened to affect someone else's department. All right. And what this was, guys, is they actually had a rental company within the dealership. but The dealership owned the rental company. So. You know, which is great. I've, I've always loved that concept and it makes a lot of sense for us as dealers to have that ability to kind of migrate inventory, you know, through different channels. So it's a good idea. <coughs> but there wasn't, it, you're right. The bottom line was, is that management didn't seem to actually have the authorization to really do what was necessary to, to, to make the deal happen. Um, and which is kind of a shame. I'm sure there probably was somebody else that needed to be there to probably say yay or nay to it, you know? So I, I, but I do think that's, that's important. The way that your management and authorization levels are structured is that, you know, there needs to be someone that's able to answer each one of these things. And, And you can tell that you can tell the reason why he wasn't able to structure it because there wasn't a process in place that gave him the ability to say yes. You know, so if if there had been a defined structure in place, all right, and then he would have had the authority to say, okay, I can do this. I can make this decision. Right. But that's a good point, guys, because if you think about it, like the GM's not always there. Dealer principal's not always there. Sometimes your GSA isn't around. It's like you guys only have so many people, you know, and here's what it kind of comes down to when I talk about culture and branding a lot. It's just that you have these defined core pillars of what you stand as a business and you let those sometimes those core pillars direct what the staff is going to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, you know, I had my dealerships. It was my, my, my pillars were were customer centric and tech savvy. If, 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 if I asked somebody, you know, give me two words that described my dealership, that was my goal, my goal was that they describe my dealership with these two words. What, I, what I'm saying is, is that because these two pillars gave my business direction, but also gave my process direction, that you know I would allow my management to sit there and ask that question. You know, At this given moment, am I supporting the business's pillars? And if they made a decision, they came back to me, well, Jason, we thought this was the most customer-centric thing for us to do at that moment. I would have not argued. I would have not even fought it one single bit because those pillars gave them that direction. I empowered them. So it's, I think what it is, is it's empowerment. The reason they weren't able to make these decisions is because they weren't empowered, you know, from the perspective of what the company's direction was, you know, they just didn't have that, 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 that power. So that's what happens that your user experience suffers when you don't empower your employees with direction. 